Hello, welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Fear. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter 21 of The Amber Spyglass, The Harpies. I mean, we've put it off as long as we can. We've legit, oh my God, the the amount of days that I've messaged Rich being like, I don't, I can't do it today. I don't want to do it today. And then we're Mm-mm. like, we're tired. We'll do it this day. And then honestly, for like literal months, we've been putting it off because we got really ahead of ourselves. And then we were like, yeah, no, we got ahead of ourselves. <laughs> and then we were like, shall we keep up this momentum? No. And then we were like, oh, should we do our little 100th episode? Imagine if we'd done our little 100th episode celebration at the beginning of this. Like, happy 100 episodes. (laughs) Now we're going to break all your fucking hearts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So now we have to do it. So Mm. this is going to be fun. I'm already kind of half welled up already. Just thinking about talking about this chapter. Legit, I read, like, the little structure that Rach had written for us to read at the beginning before we go into the chapter. And it's not, it's actually quite funny. And I fucking welled up at that. And I was like, (laughs) no, we're both emotional wrecks. It's fine. Yeah, God, we really are. (laughs) Fuck. But, (sighs) I mean, anyway, before, before we get into it, how are you? I am good. I'm quite happily pottering away, getting stuff ready. I think this episode comes out just before, like a couple of weeks before MCM Comic Con at the end of October. So if you're going to be at MCM Comic Con in London at the end of October, come see me. I will have a table there. Um, and I'll post on my social media closer to the time where the heck that table is, because at the moment, I don't know. But yeah, that's what I'm working towards. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sad that I can't be there to help. Um... Yeah, well... You're sad, but you're also smug, aren't you? I'm a Why little bit smug. Why are you smug, smug. I'm a little bit smug. <laughs> so I'm going to Vegas, baby. I'm going to Vegas uh, to go and see Paramore. I, I mean, I say to go and see Paramore. That is the reason. But I'm at, I'm going to <laughs> When We Were Young Festival, which has loads of bands that I want to see. But the main reason I'll be going, obviously, is to see Paramore. Um, so I'm very excited for that. Uh, so, yeah, I get back a day before Rich's Comic Con and I was like, I'm so, I'll be fucking knackered, mate. I can't do it. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Basically, like, all of my, pretty much everyone I know that lives locally except, like, Ella, Ellie and Sarah are fucking off to Vegas for a week right before I do my convention. So I'm going to get, like, so much work done because there will be no distractions. You won't even be awake at the same time as me to, like, message me. So No, legit. Like, literally, I'm gonna get so much shit entire done. friendship group is going to Vegas. I mean, I'm sad that you're not coming. Me too. But also, it made a lot more sense to just do, oh, sure. make money instead of spend money. Absolutely. Or try to make money instead of spending money. We'll see. Do you want to know what's really exciting, Faye? Mm, I do. There's a fucking trailer for season three. Oh my God, that is. Of His Dark Materials. It came out on Twitter. It came out on Twitter. It came out. They like released it at Comic Con. We watched it via Twitter. Yeah, um, the did. BBC has not been on it uh, as of us recording on the 8th of October. The BBC has not been on it and released a tra- their trailer yet, but we have it we don't even know it's coming to the bbc like we don't have the air dates yet it's all your life out bbc right? hbo is showing you up <laughs> it really is um 
I obviously it we can't so really. Good. It looks so good. We can't say too much here because spoilers. But some things we've already reached. There's a definite inclination that we're about to see a broken knife, which yeah. we've already reached in the books. We see some Galavespians with wings and not dragonflies. Yeah, interesting. Were they like it's easier to animate a person with wings than it is to animate a whole entire extra insect? It's interesting because. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I'll reserve my judgment until we actually see it. But like, it just gives me like fairy vibes. Yeah. But there's some like heart wrenching shit that made me cry. Daphne and Amir look like they absolutely smash it. Yes. Ruth looks fucking brilliant in the, she in the bits that we see of her because of course she does. Yeah. We don't get to see much of Mary, but I think they're doing that on purpose. Like they don't want to show the Malefa. They don't want to like show anything like that before. We saw some angel vibes though. We did. We did see Which is angel interesting. Vibes. You can see why they were fucking hard to do because they're so yes. shiny. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, do you know who looks absolutely fucking badass? Who looks fucking badass? Fucking a gunway. I'm so excited oh, for him. Yeah. He looks so yeah. great. Asriel's rocking a little little man ponytail in his little midlife crisis car. I'm not being and funny. You know what is annoying? I don't want to find Asriel. <laughs> no, I was literally but just going to say. Please. I was literally just going to interrupt you to say the same thing. I'm like, why the fuck do I find Asriel hot? Look, it hurts. I don't want to live in a world where I call Asriel daddy. No. But James, <laughs> please. <laughs> uh, please, James. Stop it. It's funny because um, one of our patrons, Charlie, put in the Discord when the trailer dropped, she was like, something along the lines of, Asriel looking hot, rude. I'm like, exactly. I fucking agree. I've already seen people calling Father Gomez daddy on Twitter. I can't. I can't. He's the grossest character in the books. Why do they have to cast a hottie? Right. <laughs> why are they doing this to us? Why, why are they making everybody hot? Like, right. <laughs> why has everybody uh, got to be hot sometimes people are not do you know what i mean i don't want to be calling asriel daddy and gomez daddy absolutely not it might have to be the case we're gonna have we'll start a little we'll get a a, a, a jar we'll, we'll get a daddy jar but <laughs> <laughs> fiver in the jar it's a fi- it's a high fee wow because that is a high it's fee. a high it's a, it's a big crime you've got, you've got to put a fiver in the jar if you ever feel the urge to call us real daddy oh fucking hell uh, uh, you know what I'm crying now but it's because I'm laughing yeah <laughs> but also I'm so on the verge because I don't want to do this chapter I know I know I'm, I'm, I'm uh, feel, I feel you <sighs> anyway the trailer looks amazing the thing is is that like it's airing on HBO I think on the 5th of December two episodes back to back and then they're doing two a week with the final episode on Boxing Day they just want to kill us they do we're going to live HGM in December. This is it. Honestly, I don't know. Le- legit. I mean, obviously, me and Rich need to talk about this, but I don't know what the fuck we're going to do. We can't do two episodes a week. I mean, we can try. We can do it. So, speaking of, anticipate from us some strategic podcasting over the next few months because we are aware that we're going to be doing the TV episodes. And so we'll probably need to take a break from the book episodes, especially if they're throwing two episodes a week at us. We will not have the capacity to do that. So yes. Um, And hopefully that will also give us some time, energy and space to sort out some fun interviews, hopefully. Oh my. Oh my. I forgot that we do interviews, remember? (laughs) Yeah. Do you know that thing that we do? Uh, Yes. Also, speaking of which, I just mentioned how Faye is going away in at the end of October I've got a really big event at the end of October this does mean that after this episode we will be taking a little 
break. We're going to take an episode off, which means you won't get an episode on Halloween like you were supposed to. And the next episode you can anticipate will be on the 14th of November. So, yes, we just need a little breather because um, we've got big, exciting stuff in the next month. And, yeah, we want to give you good quality podcasts that don't have burnt out hosts. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know what? So, yes. I love you all so much, but I'm not editing sat around a pool in Vegas, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be iconic, but don't do it. Don't do it. Take that holiday. Oh, speaking of November, December, all things happening over the festive period. If you are looking to get some of our merch in time for the end of December, we recommend getting your orders in by the end of this month because there are loads of Royal Mail post strikes going on at the moment. Yeah, loads of Royal Mail workers are striking. We support we support Absolutely. the strikes, but it does mean that there will be some delays in postage and we won't be able to like guarantee shipping times as well as we usually could. So your best shout to get things for the end of December is to get your orders in by the end of October, just so we've got a nice little buffer month for postage delays on the t-shirt shipping to us and then also us shipping them out to you um so yeah that is our little prior warning of delays in postage for the festive period yes hey Faye hi hey hi what would your demon have been this week (laughs) (laughs) so I I think you've chosen this before but I was thinking because I'm like really fucking busy at the minute and I'm like I know you are as well, and I'm like working evenings and weekends and all that kind of shit. And I was just like, hmm, I'd love like a little worker bee, a little worker Aww. bee demon. I feel like they would help, or at least help take some of the stress off me, because like I feel like it's in their nature to to work. You know, you better work bee, mm-hmm. like <laughs> you better work bitch. <laughs> um, so yeah, I feel like that would help a little bit. And plus, I love bees; they're very cute and fuzzy. Can you remember when we were at the pub and we saw that bee going in the flower in, in the middle of the table and he was really drunk? <laughs> Honestly, I get so easily distracted by any animals happening around me, any whatsoever, that I was just so obsessed with that bee. I was like, you get that pollen. You, you're working hard. It was so <laughs> drunk and it kept like pollen drunk and it kept going back in the same one. And we were like, no, you've done that one. This one. You've got all you can from that. <laughs> and he had really big saddlebags. You know how they like collect all the pollen on their, on their little legs. It's so cute. What about you? What did your demon be? I mean, if anyone follows me on socials, they will know that I have had a lot of visitations recently from a pair of squirrels um, that I am thoroughly obsessed with. Uh, so definitely a squirrel demon because that's I've got squirrels on the brain at the moment. Um, I have so in the new little office space that I've got at the moment in our like spare bedroom where I do all my work, I've got one of those bird feeders that you sucker onto the window and. I was thinking, oh, the local robin that I've seen hopping around the garden will absolutely love this. And I bought some like robin specific seed mix and stuff. And I put that in. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I've seen the robin maybe twice. Every single day, multiple times a day, these two squirrels visit and they like scramble up the wall like some kind of... it's, it's a brick wall. <laughs> they, they like rock climb for this seed. <laughs> so they scramble up the wall, but then they like stretch themselves out and lean across the window to scrabble and get this food from the bird feeder. And it's really cute. And I've nicked, named them after nuts, of course. So you've got, a, there's, a, there's a skinnier squirrel that I called Cashew. And then 
a much chunkier one that I've called Macadamia. So it's Cash and Mac for short. And yeah, they also both are very definitely recent mothers. Um, I had, I've seen a lot more squirrel nipples in the last week than I ever thought I would <laughs> in my entire life. I will say that. Uh, but yeah, I am. I'm a bit squirrel obsessed at the moment. So yes, I've just weed carved pumpkins last night and I just put the pumpkin seeds in the feeder because I googled it and apparently squirrels do appreciate a pumpkin seed. So fingers crossed. Yeah, <laughs> we did. Uh, we did carve pumpkins last night. That's a nice little, little story. It was really fun. I did. So well, if I do say so myself. You did really well. You Thank didn't. You. So Faye has does this great thing where she'll be like, "Yeah, this sounds great. I'll do this craft." And after five minutes, she's bored, and I have to finish <laughs> it for her because <laughs> I have like endless craft concentration in my brain, and I have none. I'm very impatient. So yeah, if I can't you, do it. I'm like, mm. you absolutely smashed it. Mm-hmm. I only had to help you with like one bit. Yeah, <laughs> and that was just because you were like, "Ew." <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm... "The thing is, so Rich helped me with like the really small bits because I was like, look, I've done all this.'" If I fuck it up now, I'll be really mad. So I was like, I want Rich to help me. But I do. So I don't know if anyone's heard of the band Him. Sounds for, of course, His Infernal Majesty, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the first <laughs> band I ever loved when I was a teen, young teen. And uh, they are very goth. And I suppose Ema, just for the content of their songs and lyrics and stuff. And I was obsessed with them. Uh, so I did. A, they have like a little symbol called a heartogram. Google it. So I did that, and I was like, I want to do a heartogram. I was like, it's like I'm 13 again, and it, it was great. Yeah, it came out really well. It did. Well, you know, you know this about uh, about my family is that my sister was very into him as well, like way more so than me. And her friends baked her a gingerbread hymn concert for her birthday they did like a little stage and it had like a heartogram on the back of it and like a little gingerbread villabello and a gingerbread crack it was really cute <sighs> it's the best story i've ever heard i wish my yeah. friends would have done that for me look it's not that long till your birthday if i've got the energy <laughs> after comic-con you might be getting yourself a gingerbread hymn concert <laughs> i would fucking love that in fairness, in fairness well that's the reason when i was like i want to do a heartogram i knew that you would be like oh my god yes I mm-hmm. was like, yeah definitely that's the one Mm-hmm. And I did Louise from Bob's Burgers because so I spent good. bloody ages deciding what I was going to do. Yeah. And then I was like, yes, if I do Louise, I can cut little pumpkin ears out and have them sticking out the top of the pumpkin. And it was great. <laughs> so good. It looked amazing. Yeah. <sighs> and now Rich has got like five, five pumpkins in a house. Yeah. I was like, so you all taking your pumpkins home? And everyone was like, no, I don't want to take you on the train. So now <laughs> we've got five pumpkins in our house. <laughs> I feel like if I'd have thought about it, because I had to like rush for my train, if I'd have thought about it a little bit more, I probably would have been like, oh yeah, we'll take it, it's fine. But because I was like rushing, I was like, no, 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 it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. I'll just have to light them every night and send you all a picture being like, this is how your pumpkins are doing. Yeah. Send you pictures of them as they get gross. (laughs) I feel like the heartogram is just going to like crumple within itself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's going to get real wrinkly. Yeah. I don't think they'll last till Halloween. I think I'll have to bin them while you're in Vegas, probably. Yeah. Okay. (sighs) Are you ready? <sighs> yeah. Let's let's get into it. <laughs> Last chapter, Mary climbed to the top of one of the trees in the Malefa world to learn more about dust. She found out that dust is floating away from the trees, which is why the seed pods aren't growing as much anymore. In this chapter, we try to keep our shit together as Lyra at will and the Galavespians are led by Lyra's death to the boat crossing that will take them to the land of the dead. Philip Pullman tears our hearts from our chests as Lyra is forced to abandon Pan on the shores of the lake. 
Somehow, the chapter doesn't end there, and we have to endure a broken Lyra being taunted and wounded by harpies. Uh, <laughs> it's a fucking great chapter. Thanks, Phil. I'm I'm fine. You're going to get some really gross already. sniffing sounds yeah. from me throughout this chapter. Rachel's crying, and there's nothing you can do about it. Genuinely, it's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. I want to find uh, our WhatsApp chats from when I was watching uh, when I was making notes <laughs> and when you were making notes. I uh, well, I, I think yours is funny. I said. I'm just reading the next chapter and it's devastating me. Can't wait to see it in a TV show. Cry first. Oh, I said, <laughs> I just said, um, Faye, this chapter. And she said, don't. I wanted to end it all earlier. And then I sent a <laughs> gift of somebody crying and rocking in a shower. Yeah. Um, and she says, legit. And I said, honestly. And then Faye says, Phil really twists the knife, doesn't he? And I was like, truly. And he's not even halfway through the chapter. We've got to go through that shit and then carry on reading. Um, I was like, at least end the chapter there and let me grieve Phil. Phil's <laughs> like, right, but no, there's more, and it's horrible. <laughs> and then I was like, I'm not even to the more yet. They're still on the bloody boat. Oh God! Because I text Faye midway through note making quite often. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, it's just uh, a horrible, horrific chapter. Were you more sad about this chapter or the chapter where Lee died? I think I was more sad about Lee, but this is a close second. Um, I feel like this one resonated harder with me when I read it as a kid. Like I remember feeling more into it. But again, I always thought the chapter ended at the most heartbreaking part and it didn't. So I feel like making note, taking notes on it made me less sad because <laughs> at least I could like put the book, put the book away, put the book in the freezer. <laughs> yeah, put the book in the freezer for sure. Faye, we've not even done the usual bit. You need to tell me what the picture is. What do you think it is? Oh, God, it better not be a sad little dog on the end of the pier. <laughs> it isn't, it isn't. Okay. Well, it's kind of half. Is it just the end of the pier? Yeah. It's not just a sad little dog. <laughs> uh, thanks, Phil. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm doing well, I'm doing well. Yes. Okay, would you like to know about the quote at the beginning? We get to have a little side distraction. It's fine. So the quote is, I hate things all fiction. There should always be some foundation of fact. And it is from Byron. Lord Byron. And I went and did, again, anything, anything to avoid doing this chapter. <laughs> I did a little bit of research on Lord Byron. So the full quote is, but I hate things all fiction. There should always be some foundation of fact for the most airy fabric and pure invention is but the talent of a liar. Which is interesting. And I feel that, not to spoil forward too much, but I would have not have put this quote with this chapter necessarily based on the content of the chapter. I would have picked a quote about somebody having their still beating heart ripped out of their fucking chest, <laughs> actually. Yeah, I kind of agree because we haven't yet delved properly into all that. Um, we're like on the edge of it so yeah it's interesting to choose it for this chapter I guess so fun facts about Lord Byron the person who this is quoted to so this was in a letter that he was writing he was kind of just like chatting shit about plays and poetry and stuff because he himself imagine like writing a letter and then like somebody taking it and it becoming like an iconic quote right like, it's very weird to me that let's say like somebody going through our whatsapp conversation <laughs> I mean, enshrined forever. This is us reading that. But this is, I think this is the thing, like there is 
old and timey, there is like an art to letter writing, isn't there? Especially if you are a poet or whatever. Yeah. Um, so Byron was a poet. And a fun spooky season fact is one of the reasons you may have heard of Lord Byron before on this particular podcast as well is that I've probably mentioned the fact that Byron was one of the people present at the Shelley's summer home at Lake Geneva when Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. He was one of the people there when they all got together and had their little spooky bitches tea party and they suggested writing stories on a rainy afternoon and they all wrote ghost stories and that's where Mary Shelley's Frankenstein became a thing. What a legend Mary Shelley is. Because Frankenstein's a fucking great book. Exactly, yes. And it's also... So Mary Shelley wrote what became Frankenstein and Byron's doctor, William Polidori, wrote The Vampire, spelled V-A-M-P-Y-R-E. Can you pronounce it correctly, please? Vampire. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Wrote The Vampire, the story that inspired future interpretations from Dracula to Twilight. And The Vampire story is read all over Europe and is kind of based on Byron himself. Because Byron is this quite like flamboyant, very obsessed with like gothic stuff. Love it. Um, Lord. And the first story was published under Byron's name because he was basically a, a celebrity of his time. And so he knew to get the story, his friend's story read to publish it under his own name and then revealed down the line that it was written by his friend. But yeah, this type of vampire in the story was wholly new. And previously vampires in European folklore were like peasants and villagers and spectres, dirty with talon-like fingernails, like in Werner Herzog's Nosferatu. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, So very mm -hmm. much like gross. And like, so the flamboyant, rich Count Dracula type character is based on this the vampire. That's cool. Which is fun. Wait, yes. what year was that? Uh, that was in 1816. And when was when did Dracula come out? Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's got to be like towards the end of that century, right? 1897. Do you know, Rich? I'm not being funny, and I'm not even lying. I had that year in my head, and I was going to say it, and I fucking didn't. 1897. God, how do you want to say it now, and we can edit it yeah. to make it sound like you're amazing? <laughs> Bram Stoker's Dracula. That came out in 1897, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Faye, you're right. Oh my god. Oh my god, amazing. Wow. <laughs> so clever. I'm so clever. Uh yeah, so that's like what what's that 60 1816 to 1897. That's like a 80-year gap. Isn't it funny cuz like whenever I think of like old dates like that, that kind of 80-year gap seems like nothing. Yeah. But can you imagine now? Like, yeah. It's such a long time. Like, 80 years is fucking ancient. It's literally right. a lifetime. But like, but yeah. when you think about older dates like that, you're like, oh, it's nothing. Yeah. Oh, that was really close together. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the vampire in this story is called Lord Ruthrin, a name that can be linked back to Lord Byron um, as one of his former lovers, Lady Caroline Lamb, created a villain in one of her stories called Lord Ruthrin Glen. Glenavron, which incidentally was written as revenge against Byron. So one of his ex-lovers wrote a book in which the baddie was basically based on him, which I fucking love. Byron, again, I'm just I'm just going to read you all this shit because I don't want to talk about it. So <laughs> fun, spooky fact is that Byron is, um, he had an absolute fascination with the supernatural. So he, the reputedly haunted seat of the Byron family, Newstead Abbey, became a favourite venue for his, uh, him and his 
his buddies, his entourage, his gothic flamboyance perpetuated the sense of the spooky. A coffin stood at the end of the dining room, which Byron had turned into an indoor shooting gallery. (laughs) Skulls of the monks who had been buried at the abbey and Byron's own ancestors from the family crypt were used as flower pots that lined the walls. He also had a drinking mug made from one of the monkish skulls and served drinks in others. Byron and his friends wore long, dark, hooded robes worn by the medieval monks for their soirees. And when Percy Shelley, Mary Shelley's hubby, when he died, he insisted on being cremated because Byron asked if he could keep Shelley's skull. And Shelley was like, absolutely not, mate, because you're going to turn me into a mug. I am not being fucking funny, but that is a recipe for being haunted, if I've ever heard Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I love it, though. Very goth. I love it. He's goth. He's also one of, considered to be one of the first modern style celebrities in the way that we think of them. Like a Kim Kardashian. So, like the first Kardashian, Lord Byron. His wife, Annabella, coined the term Byromania to refer oh, to the commotion surrounding amazing. him. <laughs> amazing, yes. I love it. His self-awareness and personal promotion are seen as the beginning of what would become like the modern rock star. Um, He would instruct artists painting portraits of him not to paint him with a pen or a book in his hand as he was a writer, but as a man of action. Oh. (laughs) Another great fact about Byron. Byron. He is bi. (gasps) Oh my God. It is a thing. Known to have had lovers of all genders, which is great. Um, but also mm, a little bit dodged because he did definitely mm, is back in the like 18 whatevers, but probably groomed some students. But I was going to say, can yeah. I love him or did he do bad things also? Um, diff- difficult. Mm. Bad things in the context of it being 1870 whatever. Um, but he did have he did have affairs with women and with men. Um, but it is also a thing that he a lot of the affairs that he had with some of the male students that he was involved with could be seen as predatory because of the power imbalance and you would see that as unethical today but probably back in those days hard to tell yeah Byron was a victim of bi erasure the publishers that had the rights to his work after his death burned his diaries and refused to publish anything about his bisexuality in anything about him and as late as the 1950s the scholar Leslie Marchand was expressly forbidden by the Murray Company, who are the people that own the rights to his stuff, to reveal any of his same-sex passions in the book that she was writing about him. Fucking grim. Boo, we fucking hate bisexual erasure. Absolutely. And just straight up homophobia. Yeah, straight up homophobia. Yeah, so this is the thing. Byron is known as like a poet and a lover and a spooky bitch and all this kind of stuff. And having been this like flamboyant celebrity... But nobody really still, or up until the 50s, was even able to talk about the fact that he was also bi. Fucking hell. Yeah. Just on another note, Byron kind of coined and epitomised a type of uh, protagonist or anti-hero that we see so commonly now in media that we probably don't even think about it. So the Byronic hero presents as an idealised but flawed character whose attributes include great talent, great passion, a distaste for society and social institutions, a lack of respect for rank and privilege, although possessing both in themselves, being thwarted by love, um, being thwarted in love by social constraint or death, rebellion, exile, an unsavoury secret past, arrogance, overconfidence or lack of foresight and ultimately a self-destructive manner. These type of characters have since become ubiquitous in literature and politics. Who are you thinking of right now, Faye? Well, hello. Well, do you know what? 
I was like, boom, Asriel. And then I was like, boom, Coulter as well. Both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Both of them. Very much idealized, beautiful, flawed. It also made me think of Bojack Horseman because I'm watching it at the moment. Yeah, for sure. Which is like so many, so not only characters in this book, but like so many characters across things. Like if you're the hero of your story or the main character of your story is like talented, but cynical, probably Byronic. <laughs> Which I love. A bit of Buffy in there as well. Yeah. So yeah, that was our fun little avoiding this chapter foray into Lord Byron. I loved it. It was very fun. This is a long ass episode. I'm sorry for getting distracted by Byron. Also, we, <laughs> we need to do this chapter justice. But if we if we skim past things, it's because we can't emotionally handle yeah. them. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. 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 So. Okay. 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 Here we go. Here we go. Lyra and Will each awoke with a heavy dread, just like us, as we awoke this morning, knowing we'd have to talk about this chapter. <laughs> yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. It was like being a condemned prisoner on the morning fix for the execution. Thanks, Will. This is some great foreshadowing. <laughs> like, we know they're travelling to the land of the dead and it's all very apt, but... Yeah, there's a lot of... There's another, like, prisoner reference in this chapter mm. that stuck out to me. Um, Phil was clearly feeling... That prison life when he was writing this. So the spies are feeding the dragonflies um, and Sally sees how upset Lyra is and she talks to her. This like little conversation that they have, I quite like it because like, I feel like Sally goes into it trying to talk Lyra out of it and then Lyra like flips it on its head and she's like, well, what would you do if you don't come back? And Sally's like, we shall have died doing something important. So it kind of just like... Same, yeah. yeah it goes, it, she goes into it with one intention and comes out of it where they're both like, yeah, okay, we're, we're doing this. Well, I guess we're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I appreciate Sally. This is the thing. I feel like Sally is underappreciated, partly because Lyra's had a lot of contempt for the girl of espions generally for being spies and following them round and trying to get them to go to Asriel and stuff, which is what they don't want to do. Um, and so I do really appreciate this moment because we get a moment here where Lyra kind of admits that to herself um, and that she hasn't really looked at Lady Talmachia before or like taken her in as a person because she's been too busy kind of finding them a nuisance or a, an unwelcome presence. And I quite like it. And I love getting a thorough description of a character. I do. Before you read it, it is a lot. There's some of it that's a little bit of backhand complimenty. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's Lyra. She's never been tactful. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I don't think she knows how to pay like a sincere compliment, <laughs> unless it's to Will. <laughs> Lyra was silent. She hadn't really looked at the lady before, but she could see her very clearly now. In the smoky light of the naphtha lamp standing on the table, just an arm's length away, her face was calm and kindly. Not beautiful, not pretty, but the very sort of face you would be glad to see if you were ill or unhappy or frightened. Her voice was low and expressive, with a current of laughter and happiness under the clear surface. In all the life she could remember, Lyra had never been read to in bed. No one had told her stories or sung nursery rhymes with her before kissing her and putting out the light. But she suddenly thought now that if ever there were a voice that would lap you into safety and warm you with love, it would be it would be a voice like the Lady Salmachia's. And she felt a wish in her heart to have a child of her own to lull and soothe and sing to one day in a voice like that. This is interesting as well because it's another hint at Lyra growing older because there's a certain point 
I guess, if you want children when you grow up, that you become aware of the fact that you could have children and you start thinking about whether you would want that. And I feel like that comes at a very certain time, like in, in a certain shift when you're shifting more towards being a teenager, being an adult, whatever. Like, I feel like it usually comes around that time and I feel like it's just hinting at Lyra, like growing up a little bit more. Yeah, and I also think that Lyra, as she says, it, as I said here, like she's not grown up with like, a, I mean, no shade to Mrs. Lonsdale. Uh, like she's not grown up with like a super strong nurturing presence in her life, like in that way. And so maybe it's this exposure to people that have that, like that same energy that is kind of making her, when she's picturing her future, picturing it with her possessing that kind of energy is like a really interesting thing of like, again, like you were saying, that transition of like not just thinking of being nurtured, but as being someone that could nurture someone else, could have that like mothering energy is like interesting because she's certainly not getting it. Well, she certainly wasn't conscious when she was getting it from Coulter. Well, yeah, so exactly. <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting that she's kind of picking up, even though that's not necessarily what like Sally is doing right now. But like Lyra is picking up that energy from her, which is we just want Lyra to have good, good women in her life, good female role role models that like yeah. So far, she's literally basically only had like Mrs. Lonsdale and Mary. Mary briefly. for like very short, yeah, <laughs> for, like short five time. minutes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh. No shade to Mark Oster. Mark Oster, of course, oh, counts as one of those Mark strong Oster. energies in Lara's life. Oh my God, it's been so fucking long. It's like two books like, ago. Right? <laughs> oh, Mark Oster. Yeah, she's yeah. great. So they leave the hearse that they were with. And there's a little bit of a like, backhanded compliment about the food there as well. <laughs> it's like, it's all they had. Let them be. <laughs> Literally giving you the only food they got. Well, right? that's shit food. Yeah. Okay. Oh, thanks. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> You're going to eat it anyway, though. Because yeah. we do kind of need that. <laughs> yeah. We'll take it back if you don't fucking want it, you ungrateful piece yeah. of shit. So, um, and they set off, and her death is there. It's always there now. It's waiting ahead of her to like show her the way, but it's being like respectful and it like keeps out of the way, but it also keeps like looking back. Yeah, I'm a little bit sad that we don't get to have more interaction with Lyra's death. Yeah. Um, that it does just lead, that he does just lead the way from a respectful distance and doesn't have a chat with them as they're walking. So I want to know more in general about the deaths as characters. Like, I think they're really cool. I wonder if there's a lantern slide for that on this book. I hope Ooh, so. Ooh, yeah, maybe. So, it's a misty day and there's no people around. There's no deaths. And then there's a little conversation here about a turd. Why? Why? <laughs> I was thinking it's such a side, like, thing. Basically, what happens is they find a turd in the middle of the path and it looks injured and they have a discussion about whether they should put it out of its misery and kill it or leave it. I was trying to work out, there's clearly some significance here. Otherwise, Phil wouldn't have put it in. This is a chapter very much about like loss and grief and also making a choice to do something that's going to cause those things. So I was trying to work out like what the significance would be about this. And is it... So there's a couple of things that like kind of occurred to me that death is a person or death or like loss or something like that is a person could be a personal choice and they're not letting the turd make that choice for itself uh, if they killed it and similar that kind of lines up with what happens with Lyra and Pan because Lyra makes a decision for her and Pan 
when Pan doesn't want that to happen. Even though Lyra also doesn't want it to happen. But she makes that decision and Pan can't stop her from doing that. Similar to what would happen if they like had killed the turd, I guess. Also, the turd can't speak for itself to defend itself or tell them what it wants. And Pan decides to stay quiet later on in the chapter and not voice all the reasons why he thinks that Lyra should stay. So I don't know if it's like echoing that. And also Pan is what physically able to voice if he chooses to what's going on. Will's demon can't. Whatever is within Tally and Sally that is and is it within Will that is the same thing that is Pan can't voice those things so that they're not getting the same choice. That's true. In the same way. Yeah. I, I this made me think about like there's always a thing, isn't there, of people saying like, oh God, we should put it out of its misery if you see like a really injured like animal or whatever. But then like, they do bring up good points. Sally says it would be merciful to kill it. And Lyra's like, how do you know? It might still like being alive in spite of everything. Uh, if we killed it, we'd be taking it with us. It wants to stay here. I've killed enough living things. Even a filthy stagnant pool might be better than being dead. That's what Will says. Tally says, but if it's in pain... Uh, if it could tell us, we'd know, but since it can't, I'm not going to kill it. That would be considering our feelings rather than the turds. I did think quite long and hard about this, but I would love to hear, listeners, your opinion on what this is. Because it's not there for no reason. It's there for a reason. What is the significance? Yeah, is it just the first of many hard decisions this chapter? Is it kind of an allegor alleg- is it allegorical? Is it metaphorical? What what are we what are we seeing here? It yeah. would it's not yeah, it's not it's not a metaphor as it would be an allegory yeah i just it's one of those things where it's so kind of out of left field for like it doesn't feel in line with the chapter it feels very random that like i would have thought i would remember oh there's a random bit about a frog in one of the most heartbreaking chapters that you've ever read why is there a random bit about a frog but it had completely gone from my memory of reading the books and so so when i came when i was reading it i was like what the fuck is this doing here I was literally like, I've never read this before, almost. Because it must just be one of those things that you, like, sl- your eyes just slide past because you're like, you know, things are happening. But, yeah, what an odd little tangent. Yeah, very <laughs> strange. So, they carry on. Pan is, like, as close to Lyra as he can get. And they get to this, like, oily, scummy, like, horrible water. So this is where they're going to travel because Lyra's death disappears and he's like see ya he peace just out. pieces out doesn't yeah. say bye <laughs> peace out I'm, I'm done it's interesting to note maybe the animals that Pan's been so far this chapter he's been a mouse clinging to her and shaking now he's a lemur with big wide eyes also clinging to her and shaking um, trying to see through the fog yeah interesting that he's being lots of clingy cute little clingy creatures don't talk about oh, clingy I can't, I can't I can't uh so they hear like a rowboat come in closer. This mist situation sounds so fucking claustrophobic. Just like being surrounded by mist so you can't see anything in front of you or you can barely see anything in front of you. Sounds like fucking hell. I would hate that. Yeah, it's not It's not the one. I don't like it. I don't like feeling penned in. And like, I also hate not being able to see. Like I have loads of dreams where I can't see things properly and they really frustrate me and like... Yeah, I hate it. So yeah, not being able to see properly into the distance and like, especially when you're in such an unknown place about to do one of the scariest things you've ever done. Absolutely not. No, thank you. Mm -mm. It's yeah, no thanks. So Pan says, don't let's go. And Lyra whispers, got to. (sighs) 
I would just like to point out here that for all of Lyra's faults, she is a very thoughtful person. She is thinking about the dragonflies and how the mist must make them really heavy. Um, and she thinks she hoped there would be food for them in the land of the dead. And I just think it's very thoughtful of you, Lyra. Mm-hmm. The dragonflies seem to be the only one that's like only ones that are pretty much unaffected by everything that's going on which i kind of love like it's nice to have someone that's not bricking it yeah <laughs> you know? they're just chilling the boat gets to them and there's a man in it this description of him reminds me of jafar in disguise again we've oh mentioned God. that before I love how many times you think of this. <laughs> i believe actually in the subtle knife or the northern or northern lights in the prison yeah yeah, yeah. it was you that brought it up actually true probably is yeah so this boatman who doesn't get a name they don't ask no, him just the boatman which i appreciate because i feel like as a um kind of universal figure like loads of cultures and myths and legends have a boatman type figure that ferries you into death having no name is kind of a thing just being an archetype i guess yeah but i'm just like oh shall we give him a name should we give him a name right now <laughs> What does he does he sound like a Keith? Keith. <laughs> I feel like if he has like a really like non-imposing name, he's just like, oh, this is this is Gary. He's gonna take the ones of the dead. He's your Gary. boat man. Yeah. Gary or mm. like Frank. <laughs> oh, Frank. Oh. Let's go with Gary or Keith, I reckon. Is, uh, yeah. I think Keith is the one. Although yeah. I do have an uncle Keith. Sorry, Uncle Keith. <laughs> I right, I get what you mean about like yeah, it, it, like the archetype, but also for the fact that they have like full blown conversations with him, and then Will actually calls him Boatman at one point. <laughs> hey, Boatman! Yeah, it's like ask, <laughs> ask his name. It's so rude. Maybe maybe his surname is Boatman, and you just don't know it, <laughs> Mister Boatman. Mr. Keith Boatman. Boatman. There we go. <laughs> Keith Gary Boatman to you actually, Mister Keith Boatman. Uh, middle name Gary. Gary, of course. Yeah, he's like a very old man and he sounds like Jafar in disguise. So Will gets in the boat and then this is where I wish not to continue with this podcast. Yeah. (laughs) So they start trying to get in the boat and the boatman, which I think is a bit harsh, like, come on, mate, you've been doing this for ages. You should have a better bedside manner because you literally say how many people you've ferried at this point. Um, And the boatman in a harsh whisper says, not him. And they're like, not him. And he's like, not him. And he points he points at Pan, who at this point is a little red brown stoat. And he immediately turns white. Uh, it's like, it, look, like it look, turns white with shock. No. <laughs> Poor Pan. Um, and Lyra's like, but he is me. And he's like, if you come, he must stay. And then she's like, but we can't, we'd die. Which I think is like the one little comedy moment in this little thing. And he's like, isn't that the point? Isn't that what you want? And then for the first time, Lyra realised what she was doing. This was the real consequence. She stood aghast and clutched her demon so tightly that he whimpered in pain. And honestly, considering she has seen people die and she has seen people's demons go out like candles and wisps and disappear and all of this stuff when they die. The fact that it had never occurred to her that perhaps there might be a greater cost 
to get to the land of the dead or some barrier, more barriers in her way than just the actual journey. But at the same time, she is a child. So. Yeah, I, I see. Yeah, I do see what you're saying. But I think that because she's had this in her head for so long that they have to go, they have to go and apologize to Roger. They they have to do this. And like the alethiometer is like agreeing and like people are like, yeah, okay, cool. That she just hasn't thought about the fact that there might be like consequences or like challenges that she'll have to get through to to get there. I do think in this in this moment when we learn that Pan can't go with her, we do see like st- the stages of grief like happening from like every person. Lyra's in denial. There's a bit of anger from Will. There's bargaining from the spies, and then there's finally acceptance. Yeah, I kind of love this moment with Lyra being like they and then she stops and it's not fair to point out that the others didn't have anything to give up that's I think really important as well because like there is probably a huge part of her that is thinking like about how unfair that is that is that is ridiculous and I don't like it and it is silly to bring it up and also we do establish later that it's not just her that's losing something here but I love that it's pointed out that she has that thought because I do think that's really someone's taking something like physically a physical something away from you and not everyone else you are a bit like the fuck they don't have to give anything up yeah for sure yeah Will's watching her she looks shocked. She looks sad. There's so many descriptions here about how gross the entire lake is. We've been told it's oily and it's gross. We get told about the fact that um, there's like a rough path and stagnant puddles and dead and sodden bushes and just, yeah. In fact, I'm just going to read it. Fuck it. There's going to be so many bits of this. I'm just going to read it. I feel like Sorry, we might as well just read the whole chapter. <laughs> we're here to break your hearts. Yeah. yeah. That's just where we're at. Um. Will was watching her anxiously. She looked around at the lake, the jetty, at the rough path, the stagnant puddles and the dead and sodden bushes. Her pan, alone here. How could he live without her? He was shaking inside her shirt against her bare flesh, his fur needing her warmth. Impossible. Never. (sighs) Don't leave pan here. It's gross here. It's grim. It's grim. It's grim. Uh, Okay. So, so we get the next prisoner reference. It says Lyra watched as a condemned prisoner watches a stir at the back of the courtroom that might be a messenger with a pardon because the spies go to talk to the boatman and she's like, they're trying to do some bargaining. Yeah, exactly. And then this is where we hear the boatman say that everybody leaves something behind. It's not just Lyra. He says, it's her misfortune that she can see and talk to the part she must leave. You will not know until you're on the water and then it will be too late, but you all have to leave that part of yourselves here. There is no passage to the land of the dead for such as him. I was going to save this for later when we actually get to the separation, but this is like the hugest, hugest, hugest thing that has ever happened in these books so far. We are witnessing what, and it says so in a little, in a tiny little bit actually, we are witnessing what happened in Bolvanga happened to Lyra and Pan. The fact that they literally think we didn't go through Bolvanger for this. Like that is the scariest thing that could possibly happen to you. And that is established in the first book. Thoroughly, thoroughly established. <laughs> and the most heartbreaking thing that could ever happen to you. Thoroughly established. <laughs> and we're reaching a point where this happens to Lyra and Pan. And we know that the Lyra and Pan that we've known for these two and a half books they're never, ever going to be the same again. They're going to be different. They're going to be so different, completely different. 
How is that going to play out? What's that going to be like? To be honest, I can see why it needed to happen, but it's also like a fucking massive like risk of a choice from, from Phil. And I know that it's like towards the end of this book. And I, I guess at the time he didn't realise he'd be writing more. But then when he when he decided to write more, that must have been a challenge because it's like, well, I don't want to see that. <laughs> like I I've want... done a really massive scary thing to yeah, this character. That's permanent and yeah. we can't make it better. This is always how it's going to be. Yeah. Again, Lyra's looking back at the foul, dismal shore about how bleak it is there. <sighs> Again, I'm just going to fuck it. I'm just going to fucking read it. She looked back at the foul, dismal shore, so bleak and blasted with disease and poison, and the thought of her dear Pan waiting there alone, her heart's companion, watching her disappear into the mist, and she fell into a storm of weeping. Her passionate sobs didn't echo because the mist muffled them, but all along the shore, in innumerable ponds and shallows, in the wretched broken tree stumps and damn it. Uh, the damaged creatures that lurked there heard her full-hearted cry and drew themselves a little closer to the ground, afraid of such passion. This is the thing we know about her. She's very passionate. I love that we get so many mentions of how passionately she cries or how passionately she argues. Um, I just and the boat. I feel like the boatman has this very patient manner that I think is simultaneously helpful and not helpful. Like you wouldn't want it to be confrontational because they, you know, and we see in a minute that they feel like they could fight him and he's like of course you can't fucking fight me i'm like i'm not a being i'm a trope yeah. Like, I'm, yeah, yeah i exist beyond this thing you can't poison me like who do you think i am do, like do you not think like a million people have tried to do that before and failed yeah and so his manner is very like i've done this ten thousand times but i also wish he had a better bedside manner and was more um so for example in neil gaiman's sandman they make a really good point and in the new adaptation so in the books and in the netflix tv series adaptation they have something about their death character is really comforting and beautiful and like the whole thing is that she has like the ultimate bedside manner and they're like no matter who it is she is there to calm you and take you to this place in a way that is peaceful and that is like, even if there's somebody's raging at her and like, it's not my time or whatever, her response is calming and just finite. Like, she knows this is exactly how it is and you have you will come to terms with it, but her bedside manner is impeccable and that's, like, a great aspect of that character. This guy does not have an impeccable bedside manner. He has more of a bureaucratic bedside manner, especially in this bit where he's like, he can get in the boat, but if he does, the boat stays here. And then it just kind of not, asking not answering questions in a helpful way when they're like how will she find me and he's like i don't know <laughs> and you're like yeah. just maybe be nicer about it yeah when you're killing people <laughs> yeah for sure i agree with that i agree with that he says so they're talking about will is like why can't pan get in the boat we're coming back will we come back this way and he's like no nobody's ever ever, nobody's ever done that before (laughs) and then will says then we shall be the first we'll find our way out and since we're going to do that be kind boatman keith actually be kind keith (laughs) keith boatman (laughs) who do you think you are (laughs) yeah be compassionate let her take her demon no he said it's not a rule you can break it's a law like this one he leant over the side and cupped a handful of water and then tilted his hand so it ran out again 
the law that makes the water fall back into the lake. It's a law that like that. I can't tilt my hand and make the water fly upwards. No more can I take her demon to the land of the dead. Whether or not she comes, he must stay. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what would happen if he... Is it just that the boat wouldn't move if Pan was in the boat? I think so, yeah. Or is it that they get a certain distance across and Pan would... Like something awful would happen to Pan and he's mm. like, just don't do that. <laughs> I think she says it. like, because the boat stays here, it just gives me a vibe that the boat just wouldn't move at all. Yeah, like the boat's its own entity in the same way he is almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lyra couldn't see anything because she has her face buried in Pan's cat fur. That is five animal transitions we've seen now mm. from, from Pan, I think. Mm-hmm. We've had mouse, we've had lemur, we've had the red and brown stoat, we've had the white ermine, and now we've got the cat. We're kind yeah. of going through a lot of his favourites. I think the only one we've not seen before is the lemur, maybe. The boatman has the classic thing where he recites his bit of being like, how many ages do you think I've been ferrying people? Do you think anything... Oh, because, sorry, Tally and Sally try to attack. attack mm-hmm. And they're like getting ready. And the boatman is like, Psh, how many ages do you think I've been ferrying people to land of the dead? Do you think if anything could, have, could hurt me, it wouldn't have happened already? Do you think the people I take with me come gladly? They struggle, they cry, they try to bribe me, they threaten and fight. Nothing works. You can't hurt me. Sting as you will. Better to comfort the child. She's coming. Take no notice of me. So like, yeah, they, there's no fighting it. There's like, he's seen yeah. it all. Yeah. And then there's a bit later where he's like, oh, I don't think we've gone past it yet. Where he talks about like, I've taken like, and it's a really sad bit actually. It's like, oh, it doesn't matter if you're like a king or a perp or whatever. You're all coming this way anyway. I've had people like bargain with me. I've had blah, blah, blah. And then the bit where he says like, I've I've taken like crying babies on my lap like numerous times that have barely even been into mm-hmm. the world before they come here. And that's really sad. I know I skipped a bit there, but I thought if we're talking about his big speech, ooh, the big speech. Yeah. This bit, I, this out of the whole, everything that comes in the chapter, there's something about Pan clinging to Lyra with his like animal claws that mm-hmm. like hurts me the most. Yeah. Will could hardly watch. Lyra was doing the cruelest thing she'd ever done, hating herself, hating the deed, suffering for Pan and with Pan and because of Pan, trying to put him down on the cold path, disengaging his cat claws from her clothes, weeping, weeping. Will closed his ears. The sound was too unhappy to bear. Time after time, she pushed her demon away and he still cried and tried to cling. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I'm not crying, you're crying. Um, Yes. She has, she's, again, at every point in this, so many people have been telling her she can turn back. She can turn back and now this incredibly traumatic, heart-wrenching thing is happening and she's so very aware that she could turn back yeah uh, she could be true to her heart deep life deep bond linking her to pan and she could put that first she could push the rest out of her mind but she couldn't so she this thing that she needs to do that she feels she needs to get which again i feel is like is so much more than just roger like yeah. something she can't like pour one out for roger whatever mm. yeah yeah pan is better than Roger. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we need to just do a tweet that's like, Pan, and then the, the, the sign, greater than yeah. Roger. Just, yeah, yeah definitely. It's another sign that there is something bigger that is driving Lyra that she doesn't fully recognise because, like, yeah. she knows she needs to do this, but I, Roger is not worth ripping Pan out of you. Absolutely no. the fuck not. He's an annoying little kid. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> She's not seen him in so long. 
No, I completely get what you're saying. Hundred percent. Justice for Roger. Bless him. Died too young, too soon. <laughs> yeah, too soon. Gone too soon. But also, this is a lot to do for to just go and say sorry to Roger. Yeah, like it's an it's a massive sign. There's something more pushing than yeah. it has to be because it's just it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not. Like you can't just say, oh, it's I've gone too far. I can't turn back now. But also, like it's like somebody literally asking you to tear your heart out. Like yeah. you could turn back. You genuinely could. Yeah. So yeah. there has to be more going on. Like we know it. Why is why is fate so cruel? <sighs> um, but Lyra says to Pan, "No one's done this before." But Will says, "We're coming back," and I swear, Pan, I love you. I swear, we're coming back. I will take care, my dear. You'll be safe. We will come back. And if I have to spend every minute of my life finding you again, I will. I won't stop. I won't rest. I won't. Oh, Pan, dear Pan, I've got to. I've got to. And she pushed him away so that he crouched bitter and cold and frightened on the muddy <laughs> ground. No. I'm fine. <laughs> Fake, she's gone. Fake, she's gone. I'm just welling up. I'm... <laughs> um, uh, this is the bit. This is the bit that gets me. And this is... In my head, I can't help but picture, you know, when you see uh, one of those heart-wrenching animal shelter adverts oh, and they, they've got, like, the muddy dog at the beginning that's, like, the muddy, starving dog yeah. and then they'll, like, show you the dog, like, happy at the end in the rescue shelter waiting to find its new home, but it's the initial muddy yeah. dog. What animal he was now, Will could hardly <sighs> tell. He seemed to be so young, a cub, a puppy, something helpless and beaten, a creature so sunk in misery that it was more misery than creature. Uh, His eyes never left. I can't read. I can't read through the tears. <laughs> Fuck me. Oh wait, wait. I can carry on. I can do it. I can do it. Okay. Take His, over, Faye. Yeah. His eyes never left Lyra's face and Will could see her making herself not look, not look away, not avoid the guilt. And he admired her honesty and her courage at the same time as she, at the same time as he was wrenched with the shock of their parting. There were so many vivid currents of feeling between them that the very air felt electric to him. <laughs> yeah. Interesting that there's a point of the air feeling electric because we get mentions in the first book that we kind of skim over about sometimes the air around Mrs. Coulter smells electric or metallic, yeah. um, especially when she appears to be further away from her demon than we yeah. might expect That's which true. is very interesting um and as we know what is about to happen with lyra it's something to think about pins yeah whether or not to put one in it or not true or whether There's... it's just the moment so i know we're reading so much out here but obviously it's a very important chapter it's hard to do it justice without just reading the words yeah you know? <laughs> yeah i really admire pan being so strong at this point mm -hmm. i think this is the thing like he can't help what shape he makes a lot of the time like sometimes yeah. i think he can yeah change like i think he does change to be useful or whatever but i think when he's feeling like an emotion that deep he can't help what he looks like so i do think that maybe if he could have been a lion or yeah. a, maybe a lizard or something that doesn't show its emotions yeah. as Clearly, he might have done that to be strong, but I don't think he can control that in this moment. No, I which agree. I think, yeah, I agree. It's even more heartbreaking to oh. think of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
so I do admire his strength. So, and Pantalemon didn't say why because he knew. And he didn't ask whether Lyra loved Roger more than him because he knew the true answer to that too. And he knew that if he spoke, she wouldn't be able to resist. So the demon held himself quiet so as not to distress the human who was abandoning him. And now they were both pretending that it wouldn't hurt. It wouldn't be long before they were together again. It was all for the best. But Will knew that the little girl was tearing her heart out of her breast. The little girl again. Just, yeah, Phil loves mm-hmm. to be like, tell us exactly what is happening here. Like, and I, you can, he can get quite floral with language sometimes, but then yeah. he does a really good job of like boiling it down to its most simple and most yeah. heartbreaking sentence. Yeah, for sure. And that's it. Yeah, 100%. He's really good at doing that. So <sighs> this is... I I'm fine. Um, she gets into the boat and... So again, something point we're doing a lot of pointing out how young Lyra is, how small Lyra yeah. is, because she is so light that the boat barely rocked at all. And it's yeah. like she's she's tiny. She is just a child. Mm-hmm. And she's sitting, she's sitting with Will, and she's not looking at anyone except Pan. She's staring him down, keeping eye contact as long as possible. Um sorry at the end. The bit where it says that he trots out and his little claws are making noise on the planks. I can't, I can't imagine a little puppy, a little sad puppy doing that. Yeah, yeah, he trots to the end of the jetty, his little claws <laughs> clicking softly on the planks. Uh. <sighs> and he stood just watching as the boat drew away and the jetty faded and vanished in the mist. Just that image of that little beginning of a rescue commercial yeah. advert dog at the end of the jetty i'm picturing you know like you know the memes that are like when people are like oh my god i love my dog he's the best thing in the world and then they show you a picture of a shitty white dog with eye stains yeah <laughs> you know that's like probably the devil incarnate it's kind of that kind of dog i'm picturing but like no. with even bigger eyes no. <laughs> um but also just like somehow even though he has no reason to be wet this dog is wet <laughs> Because of the mist. Because of the mist and just pathetic looking and just... (sighs) Poor little Pam. Also to be... Not to make everybody cry again, but to be in that situation and Lyra has will to hug. The Galavespians have each other to cling Mm. to. Everyone on that boat has somebody. Pan has been left alone. The only thing he has for company in this very moment when he is watching the boat slip away is maybe that dead frog they saw down the road Mm. (laughs) like the half dead frog like he is yeah pan is alone in a place that he doesn't know in a place that he doesn't know how to get out of Mm -hmm. and he's probably that like him and lyra like didn't agree this is not what like, he signed up for. <laughs> should he? Should he? No, but like, should he wait there? Like, should he go? Like, are they like they didn't agree. Are they going the separate way so like he can just go and then she'll find him at some point in her life? Is he supposed to wait there for her to come back and find him there? Like, what's the deal here? They didn't really go through the specifics of how they were going to find each other. They did not. They did not make any kind of action plans. No. For, like. Try, like maybe try and go out the way we came did they yeah. seal up all i think they sealed up the windows as they went through them as well so you can't go out the way you came she's not like oh go back and find that family maybe mm. and then we'll, we'll try and come back and find that family and yeah. get out the way we came or whatever yeah. like there's no plan of action when your mum takes you into town and you get the bus or the train or when you're in london you get the tube you've got someone visiting you make a plan if the doors close 
too soon and you're stuck on the train and someone else is on the platform, you decide, stay exactly where you are and Mm -hmm. I'll come back for you or go, I'll get off at the next stop and you come to me on the next train. Have that plan. Make sure you don't have two different versions of that plan. Yeah. You'll be doing this all, you'll be going back and forth all day. But have the plan for what you do when you get separated. Yeah. yeah. Even yeah. more so when you're in the world of the bloody dead. Honestly. I wonder if they didn't like bother doing it because they just knew that they wouldn't. Like they just think yeah. that they weren't. Is it an sure. empty promise? Like I will yeah. find you. Is it? Like w- will you? Yeah. Do- you don't even know if you can. Yeah. <sighs> okay. They're out across the water, and just as Pan is out of sight, they feel in their chests something. And Lyra says, My heart will. And she groans and clings to him, her face, her wet face contorted with pain. And thus the prophecy that the master of Jordan College had made to the librarian that Lyra would make a great betrayal and it would hurt her terribly was fulfilled. Not our fucking fave gay librarian dads yeah. coming back to remind us that this is still significant and has happened. Yeah, well, especially because there's Lyra has done multiple things throughout these books that could be considered a betrayal mm. in in the sense that she feels she betrayed Roger. Yeah. She feels that she... Did she feel at some point that she betrayed Will? Probably by losing mm. the alethiometer yeah. when, she, when she promised her, like... Find his mum. Yeah, yeah, find his mum, find his dad. Like, there are multiple betrayals that have occurred through these books, but it's nice to have it spelled out for us that yeah. this, this is the this ultimate is the betrayal. One. This is the <laughs> one. This is, we, whatever pin we put in that, back in, back yeah. in 20, 2019, yeah. <laughs> take that pin out now. Take it it's out. done. Here it is. <laughs> and we're all devastated. And we are. <sighs> so, <laughs> we, like, Will begins to feel it too, and obviously the spies do as well. And... Mm-hmm. That he says he, it's way worse than losing his fingers. It's like deep inside him. It's it's like mental, but also physical. It feels like something secret and private was being dragged into the open where it had no wish to be. And Will was nearly overcome by a mixture of pain and shame and fear and self-reproach because he himself had caused it. And then this next bit here, I love so much because he describes how it feels, but he can't describe how it's making him feel like inside his body so Mm -hmm. he describes the worst possible situation that could ever happen to him and i think that's such a clever way of describing a feeling that you can't quite put your finger on Mm -hmm. um so he says it was if he'd said no don't kill me i'm frightened kill my mother instead she doesn't matter i don't love her and as if she'd heard him say it and pretended she hadn't so as to spare his feelings and offered herself in his place anyway because of her love for him. He felt as bad as that. There was nothing worse to feel. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty shitty. Also, I think it's, I love that we're getting it from Will's perspective. We've had our heartbreaking mm. moment with Lyra and now we're getting it from Will because Lyra kind of already felt this. Yeah. The moment she left Pan on that dock, like, but the rest of them don't know what it is they're getting themselves into because they've never felt and seen that part of themselves outside of their body. Yeah. So getting it from Will's perspective at the point at which probably the actual separation is happening between Lyra and Pan as they've reached the extent of their like demon human link. Yeah. 
like they've done the betrayal they've done their heart-wrenching moment like it probably is physically painful for lyra at this point but probably the moment the boat set off was the most painful emotionally for lyra i suspect and so hearing it from will who doesn't know what it is that's being torn out of him at this point is extra heartbreaking so that's fun (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. and it's great to have a comparison that we can relate to as to how it feels because we probably all have someone in our lives that we would hold in the same regard that will hold his mother yeah um and that that and imagining that is like relatable hashtag relatable hashtag relatable <laughs> hashtag devastating hashtag devastating um devastatingly relatable yeah <laughs> so will knew that all those things were part of having a demon and that whatever his demon was she too was left behind with pantalaman on that poisoned and desolate shore <sighs> interesting mm. but then yeah, pop. Yeah, pop a pen. So, is it metaphorical or is his demon actually there? Is Pan not alone? We don't know. Who knows? We could never <laughs> tell. Um. So they both have the same thought at the same time. The the mm-hmm. one that Will just had, and they look at each other, and it's not the first time that they've seen each other's expressions reflected back at them. Mm-hmm. Um. The dragonflies are fine. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. Confirmation. Dragonflies don't have souls or demons. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So there's a bit here that I really, really like. I know we we keep reading stuff, but I mean, come on. The journey lasted longer than Lyra wanted to measure. The part of her was raw with anguish, imagining Pantalaemon abandoned on the shore. Another part was adjusting to the pain, measuring her own strength, curious to see what would happen and where they would land. And I really like this because it really shows Lyra's resilience. Like it's mm-hmm. such like her curiosity and her resilience shine through even in these like horrible times. And I, yeah. I feel like I can relate and I feel like a lot of people will be able to as well. Like when you're like experiencing like such deep horrific pain, there's always a part of me that's like curious to see what's going to happen next. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's also just like the practicality of it. Like even in like the depths of some of the worst grief you can experience the sun still rises and the day still gets long you still have to as hard as it may be feed yourself yeah go to the bathroom yeah. do the boring life things going on the bus still takes an hour to get where you want to go you know all of these things that are just like facts of life and time goes on exist and at a certain point it becomes practical it becomes okay but yeah what when am i gonna have to go to the shop to buy some food because like what what will happen next like who will who will call me who will pop by and say hello like there are things that are mundane that break through some of the worst painful parts of the grief Mm -hmm. that like i think you know a journey you can you can be grieving hard and still get bored on a long boat journey yeah because a long boat journey with nothing to do is boring like yeah yeah and there's only so much spiraling your brain can do before just probably as like an evolutionary and uh protective trigger it starts thinking of like thinking about other things mm-hmm. she can't just sit and think about pan for this length of time probably because it would be massively harmful to her so her yeah. brain is like yeah, but what is on the other side? And yeah. she's like, oh, but what is on the other side? <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, 
Will they've got his arm around her. Yeah, they're very close. This uh, this yeah. chapter. Um, they get to the island where the land of the dead is. Everybody, the boatman says, everyone comes this way. That's what we we're talking about earlier. So like, everyone comes this way. Like whether you're a king, a murderer, a pope, and all like a whatever you are, whatever type of person you are, everyone comes this way. Nobody comes back. Mm-hmm. And Lyra says, we're gonna come back. Oh. There's a really sad bit here, actually. This really got me when I was um, making my notes. The land rose steeply and the trees grew so thickly uh, The trees grew so thickly that hardly a ferret could slip between them. And at that thought, Lyra gave a little half hiccup, half sob. The pan would have shown her how well he could do it. But not now, maybe not ever again. I was squirrel at the window. Sorry. <laughs> He's giving a really sad moment. And fucking hell, this, <laughs> this squirrel. She just did like a full like fucking oh cartwheel God. around the window to try and get this stuff. Is I don't know. Maybe she saw there were pumpkin seeds and like flipped her shit. Rich ruins the same moment. Great. I'm literally crying. So and she's sorry. telling me about a squirrel <laughs> flipping. Look, I needed that squirrel. <laughs> My comment on that sad moment is how fucking accurate it is, and it's like an immediate, super accurate depiction of grief. Lyra was briefly distracted mm. by. Oh, I wonder what's next. And then something came up to remind her yeah. of what's just happened. And it breaks her again. And there's that little sob that comes out. It's like um, all of these bubbles rising to the surface and some of them are bigger than others. And yeah. that was just like a little bubble that got her and came out as a little sob. I was like, mm. yeah. And very, very accurate as to how, how that goes. Yeah. You know, when you're going through it. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So then this is when the Burtman does the big speech. My note says, ooh, the big speech. Ooh, big speech. <laughs> the big speech. <laughs> it's a very, like, classic. I feel like Phil really is enjoying yeah. giving his version of some, like, classic epic characters and tropes yeah. and, like, this world sure. building that's involved with yeah. it. This is what I mentioned earlier, like, where, you know, he's talking about, I've rode this boat with a crying baby on my lap and that kind of stuff. We'll ask very innocently, are we dead now? Yeah. And this is his response to it's that. Like, I, I just wanted a simple yes or no. What <laughs> would survive? Just just tell me. <laughs> no, no. Big speech time. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I've been waiting for this. Um, yeah. So it's basically like, you, it doesn't matter if you're dead or alive now. You're here and you're not going anywhere. Um, everyone comes through here. Rich is looking at a squirrel. <laughs> Sorry. I'm take a picture of you. This is my fucking view right now. It's really distracting. Maybe you need to face the other way. No, don't leave, squirrel. I was gonna take a picture. Classic. Um um yeah, so it's basically like uh people with like powerful friends have like said that they'll give me money or said that they'll set their friends on me, blah blah blah. None of it matters. Nobody can hurt me. They're all coming this way anyway. You may as well accept it. And that's kind of what he's trying to say to yeah. Lyra and Will and the spies. Um he says they all fall silent in the end. Yeah, no matter your position or power, he's got the king of this, the pope of that, <laughs> the yeah. duke of that, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody dies in the end. Yeah. Hooray. This is another really horrendous grief bit. Um, so Lyra didn't want to get out as long as she was near the boat. Then Pantalaemon would be able to think of her properly because that was how he last saw her. But when she moved away from it, he wouldn't know how to picture her, picture her anymore. Yeah. <sighs> Again, it's a bit too much of this chapter resonates mm. very hard with me as someone that's lost someone very close. Um, I quite engage. Like there was, I went through 
uh, loads of things of being like moving house, mm. changing phones, changing phone number, yeah. even like dyeing my hair. I was literally, for some reason, I don't know why that came into my head. I was going to ask you if that was a thing, like if you like dyeing yeah. your hair. Yeah. Yeah. Dyeing my hair was a big thing. Like so many, considering I did like a massive life change very shortly after, like there, yeah, there was loads of like little things that felt like for some reason this feels like a milestone or like a really big step when it to anyone else it wouldn't and it's it's a fun little grief thing yeah yeah there's so Mm. many little things that change that you then that they're very significant after you lose someone and you think wow that person's not around to see that i've dyed my hair see that i've moved away to uni Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff and then as time progresses it's like you don't forget, but you're just like, and there's been so many changes that have happened now that yeah. it's... The person you are has changed so much that it's like, it, there's enough big changes yeah. that the small ones don't feel like they matter as much yeah. anymore. Whereas like, it's like, there's, as you get further away from it, the steps become bigger. It's mm. like a bell curve almost. Like mm. you could do bigger things without, they still feel big and they, but they like, so for example turning 30 for me mm-hmm. is probably a big one because it would be a big family occasion or something or um like if i was to ever get married yeah that's one of those things where you expect everyone to be there sure. if they're not there it feels like a huge big life-changing step yes. thing that is anticipated that everyone will be there and if they're not that that hurts yeah but that now would have the same impact as um what dyeing my hair would have which feels like a really small yes. change would felt like back then immediately yeah. after you know it's like that kind of it's like a scale or a curve yeah. in some way that I can't quite put my finger on, but yeah, fun. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, the fact that Lyra's <clears throat> just just getting out of the boat is hard. <sighs> yeah, Lyra. But at least for Lyra, she has she has that hope of finding him, even if it's a very long shot. Yeah, and I get. I think that's another thing for Lyra of being like the more changes she makes if she ever does find him again is will he recognize me almost yeah it's probably something she's thinking as well yeah for sure um she um asks the boatman sorry keith she asks keith keith gary boatman to deliver a message to pan which is tell him i love him the best of everything in the land of the living or the dead and i swear i'll come back to him even if no one's ever done it before i swear i will and the Batman does say that he'll tell him that. And I'm actually a bit surprised. I'm surprised he didn't come out with another big speech being like, even if I tell you, it doesn't matter because you're dead. You're in the land of the dead. You're not coming back. Yeah. Yeah. I hope he does tell him. I hope he's not just being like, yeah, I'll tell him. Yeah. And then. But, but do that. Yeah, but actually Please do, actually please. do. <laughs> please. But also, I don't know if if he rows back and Pan is still there and he comes, the boatman comes back and he's like, she said she'll come back for you. And Pan's like, yeah, I know. I'm still waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting. Oh. I'm glad that we gave the boatman a name, by the way, yeah. uh, because in all of my notes, I, in trying to make myself not have a cry while making my notes, started referring to him as Boaty Boatman. <laughs> Boaty McBoatman. Boaty McBoatman. Yeah. So I feel like Keith Boatman is a much more dignified version of Boaty McBoatman. Yeah, for so, sure. For sure. Yes. Um, so they can't see anything but mist. <sighs> There's a really good description here that I really love. Lyra shivered. She felt as if her skin had turned into lace and the damp and bitter air could flirt in and out of her ribs, scaldingly cold on the raw wound where Pantalaemon had been. Oh, uh, that is so good. That is some fucking good writing there, that is. Yeah, that is so well written. It's... It, it's too real yeah 
Yeah. It's too real. And also just this I think so this is the thing. They've just reached this bank. They're about to carry on walking and like just push on and the chapter just pushes on. And there's something about that that feels really harsh on Phil's part. Like I want him to leave us on the heartbreak so I can go home and grieve. (laughs) So I can go home and have a little moment. But at the same time, there's something really real. Mm -hmm. And really, I think there was a real choice made to continue the chapter with Lyra having to navigate the second half of this chapter without Pam Mm -hmm. is really interesting. And like, having her being aware of this essentially open wound within her and how hard everything feels now without him and having to carry on the chapter is like a whole choice that Phil has made here. I don't know how I feel about that choice. (laughs) (laughs) I want a rest. Thank you. So they move towards a wall and they can hear cries behind it and they can't tell if they're human or not. Um, Mm. And there's like a door on it and Will reaches for it. And one of the like harsh cries that they can hear gets very close. The spies shoot off to attack whatever it is, but then they're all hit with like a wing and they get like thrown aside, basically, mm-hmm. um, by something. Which, honestly, the description of this is fucking vile. So vile. So grim. So I grim. I love it. I love yeah. it. I, right, I'll just read it. So the thing was a great bird the size of a vulture with the face and breasts of a woman. Will had seen pictures of creatures like her and the word harpy came to mind as soon as he saw her clearly. Her face was smoothed and unwrinkled, but aged beyond even the age of the witches. She had seen thousands of years pass and the cruelty and misery of all of them had formed the hateful expression on her features. But as the travellers saw her more clearly, she became even more repulsive. Her eye sockets were clotted with filthy slime and the redness of her lips was caked and crusted as if she had vomited ancient blood again and again. Her matted, filthy black hair hung down to her shoulders. Her jagged claws gripped the stern fiercely. Her powerful dark wings were folded along her back and a drift of putrescent stink wafted from her every time she moved. Disgusting. Mm -mm. Phil really enjoyed writing that. He enjoyed writing that as much as he enjoyed writing about the shit-stained bear palace in the first book. God, yeah. God, yeah. (laughs) He loves a gross description. He also knows that his readers love a gross Mm. description. And the fucking bastard twatty birds from earlier in the book shitting all over the Malefa's stuff. Yeah, yeah. He loves to write like a a gross version of a fantastical beast. But fun fact, harpies... Interestingly, there are two versions of harpies. So there is a version of harpies where they're actually very beautiful women. Mm. Um, and like It's the head and chest of a woman mm. on the body of a bird. Often can be described as being very beautiful, very alluring, very like, you know, like a, a lovely fancy peacock lady. Mm. Ooh, And then there are these versions that come in through various myths and legends as being these like foul gross disgusting ugly creatures which is really interesting that there's these two different versions Mm. and i did do i tried to do a bit of a deep dive on it and then i realized that i was really exhausted from the emotional turmoil of the chapter and stopped (laughs) i yeah maybe if we meet if we ever meet them again we might do i might might do a better deep dive on the origins of the harpies yeah i looked into it a tiny tiny bit and just saw my literal and a is this is the extent of my research harpy greek mythology evil bird woman personification of storm winds because that was the Mm -hmm. description i got so there we go that's the deep dive i did 
nice mm-hmm. yes yeah. there's definite versions of them that is very much to do with they um yeah they bring the winds mm. they they are half wind half woman half bird so that's three halves they're thirds <laughs> but yes you just say same. Yeah. Half wind, half woman. <laughs> no, just get rid of the bird half. Yeah. Half wind, half woman. Yeah. Perfect description of Faye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially after a pizza. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so one of my notes here is they disgust me and I hate their behaviour. I fucking hate their yeah. behaviour so much. Like the way that they mock Lyra like, and Will, mm-hmm. I hate it. I fucking hate their behaviour. Like honestly, like... It really gets under my skin. Yeah, they feel similar in energy at this point to the cliff gas that yes, we've seen. they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They do. Yeah, for sure. So they mock them saying, like, you're alive, but you're alive. Um, Will found himself hating and fearing her more than any human being he'd ever known. And then Lyra asks, who are you? And the harpy screamed. She opened her mouth and directed a jet of noise right in their faces so that their heads rang and they nearly fell backwards. Will clutched at Lyra and they both clung together as the scream turned into wild, mocking peals of laughter, which were answered by other harpy voices in the fog along the shore. The jeering hate sound, the jeering hate-filled sound reminded Will of the merciless cruelty of children in a playground, but there were no teachers here to regulate things, no one to appeal to, nowhere to hide. I love that description i also love the innocence of being like there's no teachers here to help me there's no there's no adult to stop them yeah. like mocking me and, and and like being mean to me and again it's like that kind of like reminding you that they're children like yeah nobody's here to stop the bullies from bullying yeah <laughs> yeah and i just hate i just fucking yeah hate i hate the harpies i hate him look if yorick was here he'd do a big bear roar at them and he he'd scare them all away and he it would, would be great so yes will says that he's but he does like his best will thing here doesn't he where it's like if you're trying to stop us you can you can fuck off because we're gonna get through that door and we'll show you uh kind of vibes and then i hear mm-hmm. the, the fucking harpy does like a little mock kiss at him like uh it's so cre- what is that it's uh, so creepy like it gives off creepy mm. dude vibes even that like yeah, interesting as well from the we were talking about this before we started recording from the trailer for the tv show they've really gone a different direction with the harpies yeah like they look i described them as looking turtly <laughs> they also yeah. seem a lot bigger so they're described as being kind of mm-hmm. vulture sized right i feel like they're much the vibe from the trailer is that they're much bigger but that could yeah just much bigger and not um, not a woman uh there's not like a face or breasts of a woman that we could see yeah probably couldn't do boobies on the bbc <laughs> that's on... why hbo would have been all Can over boobies it, on the bbc but... be a new band name please for the <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> boobies on the beat <laughs> uh, god so oh my god so i hate to bring this up for people that maybe don't like horror or find, might find this a little mm, bit offensive, mm-hmm. but I'm going to say it anyway. Lol at me saying, sorry if you find it offensive when we just swear all the time. But it's a very well-known quote from a very well-known book slash horror film. So the harpy says to Will, Your mother is alone. We shall send her nightmares. We shall scream at her in her sleep. It very much gives your mother sucks cocks in hell vibes. <laughs> I yeah. knew that was where you were going with it. From well. the exorcist. Yes. Yeah. Very exorcist, yeah. yeah. So this yeah. also, <laughs> so this also <laughs> alludes to the fact that these harpies have some kind of power, some kind of like mind power that they can see into Will's brain that they know that he's thinking about his mm-hmm. mother, or that his mother's very important to him. Mm-hmm. 
Or maybe they're just like, maybe they're going to turn to Lyra and also try and make a your mama <laughs> joke. And she's going to be like, joke's on you. My mom's a bitch. <laughs> like... <laughs> also, it's like, did you not get the memo? Your mama jokes died in like 2001. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the half yeah. is just like really out of date. <laughs> so Tally and Sally, they are mm-hmm. really on it this chapter with the sneak attacks. Um, they are... Um, delicately scooching along the branch where the harpy's yeah. perching and uh, Tally's hanging on to Sally's dragonfly while she's scooching along the branch. And then two things happen. The lady leaps at the harpy and spins around to dig her spur deep into the harpy's scaly leg and Tally launches the dragonflies upwards and in less than a second, Sally has spun away, leapt off the branch, directly onto the dragonfly. It's very mm-hmm. epic. Another thing we spotted in the trailer was that the Galavespians don't have yeah. dragonflies, they have wings. And it makes me sad because if they don't have dragonflies, then how are we going to see this awesome, like, dragonfly, yeah, mid-air, jump. Yeah. leap, catch, yeah. sit, jump thing? You know, there's lots of cool things they're gonna, they can do with their dragonfly yeah. steeds that we're not going to get to see if they are winged. But, you know, budgets True. exist, so. True. <laughs> um, but yeah, the... While... The sting wouldn't have had an effect on the boatman. It does hurt the harpy. The harpy screams and there is like a chain effect of all of the harpies down the coast screaming and coming, I think, to the other harpies' aid. Basically, we're about to get... Yeah, there's a little scrap. Yeah, a little scrap. (laughs) Yeah, Um, So then they're they're having a scrap and then Lyra... Because they try to run towards the door, right? And they get stopped yeah. by the harpy. And Lyra tells the spies to stop because they're not hurting her. So I think the initial, like, puncture of the s- spur must have, like, shocked her. But, like, and maybe hurt her a little yeah. bit. But the actual, like, poison in the spurs that the Galavespians have. It's not yeah. having the effect it yeah. would have on a human. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It's like, I think probably it's an yeah. annoyance or abusing yeah. over being... Because it's paralyzing yeah. for culture, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So... Lyra then tries to talk to the harpy. She asks her her name and she says, no name, no name. No name. I love that then that just becomes her name. Yeah, yeah. Rather than just being like the nameless harpy that feels like, and no her name. name is now yeah. no name. And it's like, yeah, great, perfect. Lyra says, what do you want with us? And the harpy says, what can you give me? She says, we could tell you where we've been and maybe you'd be interested. I don't know. We saw all kinds of strange things on the way here. Uh, And you're offering to tell me a story. If you'd like, maybe I would. And what then? So, maybe Maybe I would. would. (laughs) The thing about this is, and I understand that a couple of lines later, Lyra says like she felt like she was dealt like the fucking ace of trumps, which I assume is a good thing. Yeah. 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 If you're playing card games, a trump suit is if you put that on top of any other suits, yeah. it is like it it makes a diamond okay. better than a club because you've got diamonds yeah, yeah. as your trumps or whatever. So she thinks she's got like the yeah. highest card of So I get cards. that that yeah. happens. But this whole thing with her being like it feels a little bit clunky to me for her to immediately go to like I could tell you a story. Immediately that's where her mind goes. And I get it because it's Lyra. But I feel like there should have been some like talking around it first, her trying to maybe figure out what they would want. And the fact that the harpies, that's exactly what the harpies want immediately. Seems very clunky to me and very like shoved in, um, like at too much of a rapid pace, I think. 
Um, this chapter is quite long, so I understand. And again, it might be a thing of like, maybe like dust is interfering, fate is interfering here. But it did feel a little bit like, oh, I've got the thing straight away and you're going to like it. And the harpies are like, cool. Like, do you know what I mean? It's it's a bit, it's yeah. just, it didn't sit quite well with me. It is also their currently their only currency because they don't have anything with them. I guess she could have offered them the, mm. the alethiometer. She could have offered them the knife. They're not really things they can get rid of. But, you know, they mm. could have lied. Uh, but as we're about to find out, that yeah. might not go well for them. Um, but I do think it makes sense for Lyra as a person to be like, I can lie my way through this. It's just yeah. whether offering to tell a story would be the first thing on your mind i don't yes. know yes i think it makes so i agree with you i think it makes total sense for her to do that but just the yeah. fact that she got there so immediately that i was just like oh i feel like this yeah. should have been like a little bit more time taken over the de- deliberation of what they were going to offer and all that kind of stuff because it just felt too quick mm, like even if they were just like what do you want do you want yeah money? yeah, you yeah, find yeah. Money? or something as like an initial yeah. conversation starter to then clue in yeah Lyra starts shaping up to tell and like kind of editing in her head the story she yeah. told the night before to the family in the suburbs of the dead. I love that that's Lyra's vibe and she's like, cool, I'm going to yeah. perfect this story. She's very much a writer and editor in her head. Yes, yeah, yeah. As we well know, or as we have said, I'm sure before, mm. why the fuck is Lyra? I mean, it's not like her mission is super secret. And she's mm. seen so much stuff along her way. Why mm-hmm. the fuck is she telling this random ass story about loads of other shit when her actual yeah. life story is more interesting and better yeah. written than this? Why is her... I mean, we know why her go-to is to lie, but yeah. just, like, have some faith in yourself, Lyra. Like, your life story is really interesting. <laughs> yeah, so, of course, yeah, for sure. Like, for sure. Yeah. I really, as much as I hate the harpies, I do love this bit mm-hmm. because... Lyra needed to be called out on a lion. She did. Like it like it, it, she just does need to be called out on that. For exactly the reason that you just said, like her own story is amazing and she needs to have more faith in herself that she can say things that are true and people would be interested. And you know, like it, it's just time for her to be called out on that shit. Mm. I'd rather it not be by this her- these horrific birds I fucking hate. Mm-hmm. But I really actually do quite enjoy where they're like screaming Lyra at her and it sounds like it's a, they're saying Lyra. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm excited to see how they do that in TV show because they think it's very like, I don't know, there's something very cinematic about that. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. yeah. But they, she gets like, the harpy like fucking goes for her. It, like claws and it, like, her scalp. Yeah. Rips a chunk of her hair out and her scalp's like bleeding, like bleeding down her face. She can't see. Like Mm-mm. Will has to like guide her to the door. Like, fuck, it's a lot. Yeah, really, really intense. Just head wounds. Head wounds mm. are scary. Like, I feel like yeah. your scalp bleeds more than any other, like, part of yeah. you or something. Or it's also just, like, this ugh, the scariest because, like, you've got hair and it'll all get in it. And it's, like, I know. Mm, gross. I know. It's <laughs> grim, isn't it? It's fucking grim. So grim. Um, um, so they, as a reaction, everyone's getting to protect Lyra they mm-hmm. wills clinging lyra to his chest and protecting her with his body which is oh will yeah it's such, such a like i love that she's got a protector with her yeah will and he thrusts the knife out cuts through the wood of the door cuts out the lock with a quick slash of the blade and then they tumble through into the realm of the ghosts as the harpies cries 
increase behind them. Yeah. And that's where we finish. Mm-hmm. That is the end of the They chapter. made it through the gate. They made it past the harpies. And they are now in the realm of the ghosts. They are. They are. The next chapter is called The Whisperers, which I'm very excited for. Ooh, me too. I'm actually just looking through it now to see what's going to go on in here. Hey, don't spoil it for yourself. Don't spoil it. No, I won't. Um, yes, that chapter literally broke <sighs> me. It just broke me. I'm glad that we've done it. How do you feel? We we did it. We got through it. I wasn't expecting it to break me as much as it actually did. Mm, yeah, same. You know this about me. I'm not a massive crier. Like, mm. Or I historically haven't been. I feel like it's a thing that happens when you when you edge towards your 30s as you get more cryy. Oh, um, for sure. <laughs> I think I've only seen you cry on this podcast. Probably. I get really emotional talking about stuff that isn't important or when I'm angry. Same. And then the rest of the time, I... I don't cry at sad movies or anything. I cry at happy movies. <laughs> I don't cry. At, mm, sometimes I cry at sad movies. My crying usually comes uh, at really interesting things. I cried recently because I was watching, I was listening to Paramore and I cried thinking that I'm going to see him recently. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to see him soon. Um, and I cried about okay, that. Yeah, like, <laughs> um, yeah, it's very interesting. But uh I feel like my thing is that I build up the cries and then every now and again I have like a really big cry and then yeah. I don't cry for a little while. But um, yeah, stuff like this usually makes me, doesn't make me like sob, but I'll get like teary and like be like. <gasps> um, yeah. But yeah, this was a, this was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot of a chapter. It's like you're saying, bold move from Phil, tearing mm. Lyra away from Pan. It feels it's only kind of just past the halfway mark of this last book. Like it gives yeah. us enough time that we feel like maybe there's a chance that she will find him again. Yeah. Um, but it also feels like this is halfway through the last book, but this is right towards the end of the series mm-hmm. as a whole. So it feels really big and epic to do that to your main character that we've all grown yeah. to love to remove pan from the equation who is like one of the few sources of levity and adorableness <laughs> um, yeah. that we have been getting recently is a bold yeah. move uh, and also just to fucking continue the chapter after but i have a theory about this mm. one of again harking back to personal experiences one of the best things i have ever <laughs> weird advice to give one of the best things i found when i was going through um my particularly big rough patch of grief was having somebody to be angry at Mm -hmm. that is inconsequential and not somebody close to you Mm -hmm. gives you such a great outlet so i particularly got really mad at our local vicar i fucking hate that man um (laughs) do not know him he me absolutely despising this man has no impact on his life it has very little impact on my life it's just a very petty hatred he did some things to piss me off around funeral planning and Mm -hmm. that rage that i was able to channel so much of my grief (laughs) into like petty hatred for this man and i feel like lyra kind of needs that for her she's going through this very big like grief moment right now and as a reader we're going through it as well Mm -hmm. and so giving us these gross 
cruel, mean harpies that are picking on Lyra for seemingly no reason, mm-hmm. being disgusting, making fun of Will. It gives us something to channel that emotion into is, yeah. is hating the harpies and thinking, oh, they're gross, they're horrid, I hate these characters. Because you were saying, like, I hate, you sent me a message being like, oh, I hate those harpies. And yeah. so that's kind of a really useful emotion to have because if we'd have just finished the chapter at the pinnacle of feeling, like, really heartbroken, I think it would have been quite a hard chapter to finish quite hard to know where to go from there whereas like giving us this enemy to face immediately after gives us somewhere to channel those emotions and like kind of then and then finishing the chapter with them going through a door is a very fill thing to do we've had this a lot with like the chapter finishes as they go Mm -hmm. through a window as they go through a door new chapter new space new scene is like a great way to finish so i think it's very like yeah I don't know. It's very well written in that sense. (laughs) Yeah. No, I agree. That's a good point, actually. I didn't think of it like that. But yeah, very good point. I'm just glad it's over. And I mean, I know we've got a long road ahead of us in the sense of like, now we have to deal with Pan and Lyra being separated. But this was a big one and it was a tough one. It was. And also I realised very recently that um, we've been covering the Amber Spyglass for over a year now. Have we? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Such a long book. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we started it in September last year. so That's yeah. wild. Mm-hmm. You know what, as well? We were joking when we started it. Oh, this yeah. might be the first chance we get to finish the book before the TV series finishes. Lol. <laughs> That's hilarious that we thought Lol. that would happen. We will definitely, the TV series no. will definitely overtake us in the books. And I would say sorry about it, but we're not Oh, sorry yeah, about for sure. <laughs> just... That's what happened with the subtle knife, though, as well, isn't it? That's what's happened with all three of the books. But it's going to be interesting because it means we're going to be watching the finale of the TV series before we've read the finale of the book. Mm. And I'm not going to be able to remember, as we well know, when talking about the TV series, the moment the TV series overtakes where we're at in the books, I don't remember shit. So that's going to be fun. (laughs) Well, when I watched the trailer, I was like... Did this happen in the the books and the bits that I've already read? Like, what? I don't know. I don't know. Also, because we've been reading this book for over a year. I can't yeah. remember what happened at the start. Like I've said before, as soon as it's out of my mouth, it's also out of my brain. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anything. Remember that chapter when, like, Will hung out with a creepy priest? Oh, God. That was so long ago. Yeah, it was. That was so long remember ago. Remember when Yorick ate Lee Scoresby? Oh, my God. That was fucking <laughs> that was ages ago. so long ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh God, that was fucking ages ago. Awards, 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 awards. Yes. I mean, is there anyone that it could? Be? I mean, personally, is there any? I think is there anyone it could be for other than Pan? I mean, I feel like Lyra should get her like joint award, but I just Pan. Pan's the one that got left behind on his own. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we're both agreed on the same thing. Nobody else. Like, everyone else has been brave and shit, but Pan has been yeah. the bravest. Yeah, he's been the bravest boy. <laughs> he has. Can oh. a really, really soft, big, fluffy blanket be included with his award package? Yes. Because I think he yeah. needs something big and soft and comfy and cosy to make him feel better right now. I agree. In yes. wherever he's at. That's it. His award his award arrives in moment as it stands in the story. He'll receive mm-hmm. like a little hamper. Like yes. in the Hunger Games on the little fucking yeah. parachute that pops down. And it'll yeah. have a little note in it that's like, Heard our materials podcast heard that you needed a hug. And it's got yes. a really cozy blanket and maybe like a hot mug of soup in it. 
Yeah. 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 Do you know... Um, it's your award for being the best boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, something just came to my brain. You mentioned the Hunger Games and I was thinking, do you know the bit where the harpies are screaming like liar and liar? Yes. It gives me second catching fire Hunger Games vibes where they, they go to that section of the... Jabba the... Jays. Yes. Yeah. Jabba Jays. They scream like... It's her little sister, isn't it? That, yeah, that she screaming her, like everybody's yeah. loved ones. Yeah. Like voices coming out of these birds. Yeah, it reminds me of that. Yeah, that's a fucking... Do you know what? Hunger Games, Peter's off towards the end. Catching Fire was a fucking great movie adaptation of the book. Mm. Really, really good adaptation. Anyway. Anyway. We did it. We did it. We did it. We did it. We got to have... It. We've got to do your review spiel. Everybody knows what it is. <laughs> know the review spiel we've been doing it for ages come on get us to that mark so that we can draw those names because the people that entered right at the beginning are i mean they're getting quite a good deal out of it they'll get a lot more stickers than they than they did that's true around um yeah but yeah probably feeling pretty impatient for this prize draw so get your reviews in so that we can get to that 50 mark and we can pull some names out of a hat and give you some rewards for leaving us reviews. You'll get a little set of all of our up-to-date sticker pack and some bookmarks. And yeah, leave us a review. Anyway, you can leave us a review. I think you can do it on Facebook now. It would be really appreciated. We It really helps us with all the podcast things. You know this. Um, yeah. I'm not going to say much more because you've heard it 10,000 times. <laughs> Screenshot that review and send it to her.materialspod at gmail.com because that is how we keep track of all the entries into the prize draw. Yes, it is. And, you know, say nice things. Give us five stars. Don't review us if you're going to say bad things. We don't want that. If you don't want to leave a review or you can't, tell a His Dark Materials friend about us. The TV show is coming back up. So all those little His Dark Materials fans are going to be coming out ready for the TV show. Maybe you could tell them about this podcast. Uh, maybe you could give us a shout out on social media. We love it. Um, follow us on Twitter. We're really close to a thousand followers. <gasps> yes, please follow us on Twitter. As of recording, uh, we're like pod. Yeah, yeah. So follow us yeah. on Twitter. Do it. Make our day. Yes, please do. Um, and yeah, when the trailer came out, so many of you were like messaging us on Instagram, and it was lovely. So yeah, keep that coming. Um, and yeah, thanks. We yeah, love you. We love you. <laughs> I just want to say well done Faye for getting through this episode well done me for getting through this episode and well done you listening for getting through this episode it was rough and you all deserve a whatever makes you feel better in this moment be that a nice cup of hot chocolate or Mm -hmm. cup of tea or whatever go go and do something that makes you feel cozy and safe because this has been a really rough chapter so yeah yeah well done to us all I'm gonna go to Tesco and get a bat biscuit from the Greg's that's in there shit yeah you love yeah. a bat biscuit. I fucking love a bat biscuit. So <laughs> I make myself a hot chocolate and nice. read a book that isn't going to make me cry. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this very sad episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HDMPod. And you can email us at herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. 
We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rach. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Faye and when I'm not crying on this podcast, you can find me crying about Paramore on my other podcast, Still Into You. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts and find us on Twitter and Instagram at Still Into You Pod. I'm Rachel and when I'm not here getting my heart torn out by a much beloved series of books, I am making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter and TikTok at Rach underscore makes and over in my online shop RachMakes.co.uk. Huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you on the 14th of November. And don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well. done yeah gotta go cry cry in my bed deep breaths go cuddle the closest fluffy animal you can find yeah 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 get that squirrel rich i will (laughs)